It is time to preview the USC Trojans, led by superstar freshman guard Isaiah Collier. This team is going to be a load for Gonzaga, whether Bronny James plays or not. We're going to get all the way into it right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Happy Thursday. Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Well, folks, we're going to close out the show today talking about the 2024 battle for Atlantis Field. It has been finalized. We got a potential Mark Few versus Tommy Lloyd matchup going on in the Bahamas next year. We're also going to talk about our five keys to victory for Gonzaga against USC on Saturday evening. But before we get to that, let's talk about the Trojans. Let's meet this team. Show's coming out a little bit later today because I wanted to wait until USC's game against Eastern Washington, which happened Wednesday late in the evening. Glad we waited for that game. There were some explosive performances from USC that I think merit some additional conversation here as we get closer to that game. That game is going to take place on Saturday, December 2nd. It starts at 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it will be broadcast on regular ESPN. We had this come up in our Discord channel. Uh, For the folks who have subscribed to ESPN+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus does not actually get you ESPN and ESPN2. I know it's an obnoxious bug, not a feature of that site. So if you don't have any cable channels, ESPN is something you're going to have to find a different way. This game is part of the Legends of Basketball Las Vegas Invitational. It is a two-game set. The first game will start at 4 p.m. at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. That game will be between Washington and Colorado State, which, frankly, folks, highly recommend checking out if you are in Las Vegas uh, and you don't have additional plans on Saturday prior to the game and you want to go to both. Highly recommend it. Colorado State's a top 25 team. They look fantastic in the early going this season. Isaiah Stevens is one of the best point guards in the entire country. And, of course, Washington will be Gonzaga's opponent next week, next Saturday, December 9th. So definitely a good game to check out. Again, both these games will be at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Let's talk Trojans. USC right now is 5-2 on the season. They got a season-opening victory over Kansas State, an Elite Eight team from last year. Granted, a team that looks quite a bit different this year, but still always good to start your season off with a win over a team that was one of the 10 remaining teams in the country. They also win over Cal State Bakersfield, who Gonzaga just played on Tuesday, win over Brown, win over Seton Hall in the Big East, and then, of course, Wednesday evenings win over Eastern Washington as well. Their losses come to UC Irvine and Oklahoma. The Irvine loss, I think, stands out in terms of kind of a big black spot on USC's resume is the reason they fell out of the top 25 that combined with the Oklahoma loss. Now the Irvine loss, they were missing key players. I believe Ellis did not play in that game. I think they might've been missing Kobe Johnson as well. I know they were missing two starters in that game. So you want to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Irvine is also one of the better teams in the big West. Uh, There's a big gap between a team like Irvine and a team like Bakersfield for what it is worth. Also Oklahoma is a loss that doesn't look great, but frankly, Oklahoma's pretty good. And I, I think we were underrating Oklahoma. We, as in kind of just the general college basketball media space, I think Oklahoma's a, a top 25 team. I had them in my top 25 rankings for locked on college basketball. 
after this victory. So I do think that losing to Oklahoma is not necessarily a, a terrible loss. Losing to Irvine doesn't look good, but they were also missing starters. So I think there's a little bit of context that you want to have there for those two losses for USC. Ken Palm certainly isn't too down on the Trojans, despite the two losses. He has them 30th in his rankings right now, or I should say his computer system has them 30th. Uh, the adjusted offense for USC is 37th in the country. Meanwhile, the adjusted defense is 27th and the tempo for them is 132nd. So not exactly an extreme run and gun team, but certainly not going to do what Bakersfield did, what St. Mary's does, anything like that. A little bit more middle of the pack for them, but a quality defensive team, a quality offensive team, and they do it from the backcourt. Boogie Ellis, Isaiah Collier, Kobe Johnson is a three-headed absolute monster of a backcourt for USC. Really, really good. It's not exactly the same in terms of talent and in, in terms of like how the players play, but think about that Baylor team last year with LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, and Keontae George, those three really, really talented guards. Any of them can kill you any given night. That's a little bit like what we have here at USC, and it starts with Boogie Ellis. Collier is the big name. He's the star freshman, the guy who might genuinely get selected number one in the NBA draft, or at least in the top five, top 10, unquestionably. But Boogie Ellis is a fifth-year senior. He averaged about 18 points per game last year, and he's looking to top that this year for the pack or for the for USC, potentially be Pac-12 player of the year. So far through seven games for the Trojans, 21 and a half points per game. And he is doing that by shooting a crisp 48% from three. He's about 50% from three on the season. He went eight of 10 from beyond the arc against Eastern Washington. Eight of 10, folks. 80% from three against Eastern Washington. Gonzaga should be able to defend the perimeter better than Eastern Washington. Eastern is, is not particularly good this year, coming off of a pretty good season last year, but eight of 10. I mean, we, we got to emphasize that one more time for Boogie Ellis. This is a dude who can absolutely torch you from beyond the arc if you were not careful. Then you got Isaiah Collier. You got to deal with the best freshman in the country. Outside of that, Collier, 17.7 points per game so far this season, 4.3 assists, 2.9 boards, and he is shooting 42% from deep. So you have 48% from Ellis, 42% from Collier. Now, Collier is a score first point guard. He is not the facilitator that a lot of more traditional point guards are like he's he's one of the best guards in the country he's going to be one of the top point guards selected but if you're looking for like a pass first type of point guard Ryan Nemhart is better than that Tyler Kolek at Marquette Dewan Harris at Kansas like he's not that kind of facilitator distributor he's more of a scorer he's uh, really good at getting to the rim has been good at getting to the free throw line obviously 42 percent from three now here's the issue for Collier we mentioned the 4.3 assists. He's also averaging 4.9 turnovers. That is a shockingly high number. Nearly five turnovers per game just from your point guard alone. So obviously a big factor in this game is can Gonzaga force Collier into turnovers, make him make mistakes. That is a huge key for Gonzaga because Gonzaga's defense has been active. We have seen more uh, guys moving their hands around, potentially knocking the ball loose, playing the passing lane, stuff like that. That could be something that really rattles Collier and potentially impacts how USC is able to attack in this game. We mentioned that it's a three-headed monster, so we'll get to Kobe Johnson as well. 14.2 points, about five boards, three assists, three steals, and 1.2 blocks. He is a really well-rounded player, a gifted scorer. He's also shooting 39% from three. The fact that that's third among their guards as an outside shooter, and it's still about 40%, tells you what this team is really good at. He's not only a great shooter, he's also a fantastic defender. He's going to be a very pesky 
a player on Gonzaga's guards throughout this game. He's also a good rim protector for a guy at his size, at least somebody that's really going to cause problems. He's he's the second best draft prospect on this team and, and a guy that I think is really going to frustrate Gonzaga in this one. USC shooting 38.5% from three as a team. Not surprising based on those numbers we've just mentioned for their three leading scores. Uh, Bronny James is a storyline here too. We won't get too much into it because as of right now, we just don't know if Bronny James is going to play. It would, be his, it would be his debut. I think if he does play, he's probably not going to play huge minutes. But if we get to see Bronny James's first college basketball game, that is a pretty incredible story. So we'll kind of have a pin in that as a potential conversation. We'll get more into that on Friday's show potentially. And then I want to mention their big guy, Joshua Morgan. Not a huge score, about seven points per game, about six, five and a half rebounds per game. But he does average three blocks in just 23 minutes per game. He's an enforcer. He's a rim protector. Graham E.K., Anton Watson, Braden Huff, Ben Gregg are going to have to be able to pull him away from the rim or score over him or get him in foul trouble and get into USC's depth. We're going to get more into that because that's one of our keys alongside with slowing down Collier and Ellis, preventing the three-point shot. All that stuff is going to be vital for Gonzaga to secure a win on Saturday. More coming up on all of that after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. Folks, passion, drive, and patience. That's what brings home the winning trophy and is also what helps keep your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts to choose from for your ride or die, you will always find exactly what you are looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your car every single time or you get your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices that you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that trophy. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, and eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out those everyday listeners. Shout out those of you on our Discord channel. Really looking forward to Saturday. I will be at the game uh, in, in Las Vegas, so maybe not talking as much on the Discord channel, but it is a fantastic resource to be chatting throughout the game. I also want to talk to you about Locked On's first ever national 24-7 sports streaming channel on YouTube. If you go to Locked On Sports today, it is literally streaming 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the biggest stories in sports. NFL stuff, MLB offseason stuff, NHL as they're getting ready to go, all everything, college bowl games, we're talking college basketball on there as well, literally every single thing going on in sports 24-7, just go to Locked On Sports Today's YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button, and you can join us for a literal continuous conversation all about sports. All right, I want to get into this USC game a little bit more in depth. We'll talk more about this game on Friday as well. This is a big game, so it gets two full shows here on the Locked On Zags podcast. So for this game, I want to talk about my keys to victory. And again, for those of you who are everyday listeners, for those of you who have been checking out the show during the season, you know that my five keys are usually either five things I'm watching for, depending on how optimistic we feel about the result of the game. And then if it's more of a, hey, this is going to be a challenge type game like this, like this matchup, certainly we're talking more of like, these are the things I think Gonzaga needs to do to win. And that's what we're going to focus on today against USC. Number one, get the ball to Graham E.K. early, get the ball to Graham E.K. often, and let Graham E.K. go to work and or draw contact and get to the free throw line. 
it's kind of a part of EK's game that we're still early in the season. And so we have, and, and like that UCLA game is almost a wash because of how many fouls were called. But Graham is good at drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. This does appear to be a skill set of his that can be valuable. Graham only had three points in that game against UCLA was Anton Watson, who absolutely dominated in that game and got all the headlines and deservedly. So 32 points on 14 of 15 shooting, but Graham drew a lot of contact from a Dembona. He went three or four from the free throw line in that game. His ability to get to the line impacted Bona's ability to stay on the floor. This is a key for this game against UCLA. Joshua Morgan is a good shot blocker. He moves his feet. Well, he's got good instincts. He's got good length. He's going to be tough for EK, for Watson, for Huff, uh, for Greg to score on in the paint. If they can get into the depth, though, there ha- there's some, there a lot of young bigs for US- USC on the bench, guys who, who haven't played a ton of college basketball, talented players, but guys that I think EK's veteran experience could probably take advantage of, guys that I think Anton Watson would be able to take advantage of. And so getting, to, getting into that depth is going to be valuable. Beyond that, if, if Morgan's not fouling EK, EK's got to try to score on him. If obviously, if Morgan's able to stop him from scoring and is not fouling him, then you look for other options, other ways to score. Potentially, that's where you bring in Braden Huff, Ben Gregg. You force him away from the rim. That gives Nemhard and other guys more room to operate, driving to the basket, potentially doing some ball screen actions, which we didn't see a lot of against Bakersfield. But I think we'll see more of now that the team is hopefully fully healthy in this one after dealing with a nasty bug coming out of that Maui Invitational. But I think that a, a big key is how Gonzaga kind of navigates around Joshua Morgan. Getting him in foul trouble is the easiest way to do so. Key number two, harass the heck out of USC's guards. Pressure the guards, make them get rid of the basketball, don't give them open looks from three. This is an incredible group of guards. If it was easy to stop Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis, somebody else would have figured out how to do it. It is not going to be easy. Gonzaga does not have the depth in the guard room, and this is a concern for me coming into this game. Putting pressure on USC's guards might... You, you might need to do that by putting on a three-quarter court press, a half-court trap, some kind of more, uh, more outward-facing defensive pressure. Doing so fatigues players. I mean, it's just it's more work than just sitting in a half-court defense and not having to you know constantly be going all the time. If Gonzaga had more depth, they could probably do that, but I'm not sure they're going to be willing to run a bunch of half-court traps and full-quarter presses when – you know, Ryan Nemark probably going to play 39 minutes in this game, maybe 40. Same with Nolan Hickman, potentially Dusty Stromer. We'll see if Yo gets a little bit more run at the three, which we saw at Bakersfield. We didn't see Luka Krinovich at all in that game against Cal State Bakersfield. It's possible that that illness that was going around the team was maybe impacting him more than it was impacting certain other players, which is why he didn't play. I don't know. Obviously, Gonzaga didn't really pull away in the second half. Maybe Mark Few just didn't feel comfortable running with an, another guard coming off the bench there, but putting pressure on Boogie Ellis, not giving him open looks, or, or at least putting hands in his face. He's going to knock down shots even with hands in his face. He's just that kind of scorer. Putting pressure on Isaiah Collier, making him cough up the basketball. He averages five turnovers a game. Let's make sure he gets to five turnovers in this game. Let's make sure he gets six or seven, maybe. Let's make sure that Andy Enfield, the coach for USC, has to figure out if he needs to keep him on the floor or not because he keeps coughing up the basketball. That is vital. Gonzaga's defense this year is the kind of defense that can exploit a point guard who is young and who is uh, who who is kind of flashy and who turns the basketball over. This is the kind of defense that can exploit that. That is a huge key in this game. They need to make Collier turn the basketball over. They need to make sure this team doesn't get a lot of clean, open looks from beyond the arc. Because if they do, that's going to be an issue for Gonzaga. 
Key number three, this has been a key in almost every game, and frankly, Gonzaga just hasn't really done it yet in, in any game this season. Avoid a second-half lull. Play a full 40 minutes of basketball. And, I, I you know, we'll, I don't want to fully excuse the Bakersfield game because it was pretty sloppy and ugly, but obviously we had heard uh, after the game and, and after I recorded, of course, for, for a Wednesday show, that there was an illness going around that, that impacted many players. It impacted Coach Few. It was just kind of something that might help explain a bit of a, slo- a sloppy, sluggish game. But again, we need this team to play a full 40 because USC is going to come in and play a full 40. USC has already got a couple losses this season. They don't want to take a third loss. They need to prove they can beat a ranked team. They haven't quite proven that yet. Again, Kansas State is a quality program, but they have not been in that top 25. This is a big game for USC. It's a big game for Gonzaga, and USC is going to come in and play. They're going to come in and bring it this entire game. Gonzaga cannot have a six, seven, eight-minute stretch where they're missing shots, where they're just not the, – the offense is out of sync. They can't have that, and they've been having that this season. And I think that part of that is a depth issue. Part of that is uh, maybe a coaching issue of not making adjustments at halftime. That's why you see that early second half lull periodically. And, and, and who knows what it'll be in this game, but they have to find a way to avoid it if possible, because I think that they're a better basketball team. And I think that they're favored to win for a reason. And I think if they play their brand of basketball, they pound the ball in the paint. They the, the guards are able to hit their open shots. The defense is active and forcing turnovers. If they do the stuff that they're capable of doing, they will win this game. But they have to do it for 40 minutes. They can't do it for the first half and then slack off in the second half or have just you know un- inability to adjust or just fatigue because they don't have the depth. Like That is something that is going to need to be proven in this game against USC. Key number four is knocking down those outside shots. It's I don't I don't think it's quite now or never. For Gonzaga as a three-point shooting team, we're still very early in the season, but we need to start seeing the three-ball go down. Gonzaga made their first three threes uh, in that game against Cal State Bakersfield. They went two of eleven after that. They're just not a consistently good three-point shooting team. Maui, the rims were really tight. Nobody shot well in Maui, so we still kind of have this like, "Hey, Gonzaga is probably a decent three-point shooting team," but so, at some point, it needs to show up. And this would be a really great time for that to show up. Really good time for Ryan Nembhard to start consistently knocking down threes, for Nolan Hickman to start consistently knocking down threes. Stromer hit a pair in that game against Bakersfield. Be great to see him continue to have that confidence. Yo coming off the bench hitting threes would be fantastic as well. The bigs have been the more reliable three-point shooters for Gonzaga. EK hasn't been a great three-point shooter historically, but he's been good to start the season. And again, if, if he can pull Morgan away from the rim by knocking down threes, if Watson can do what he did against UCLA, go three for three from deep. Of course, we know Ben Gregg and Braden Huff are good three-point shooters as well. That is going to be really valuable in this game because, again, it's going to be a high-octane, high-offensive affair, even though both these teams are, are rated well defensively. At Ken Palm, I think it's going to be a, a high-scoring game, and the more threes that Gonzaga can make, the more they can stretch USC's defense, I think is going to be valuable for them in this game. And then I think the X factor in this game, as it was against UCLA, it's going to be Anton Watson. Can he take over if Gonzaga needs him to take over? I think DJ Rodman's probably who's going to mark Watson. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, Rodman's a Washington State transfer son of, of course, NBA Hall of Famer Dennis Rodman. Uh, I think Watson can score on Rodman. I think that that's a, a matchup that favors Watson. I think it's a good matchup between those two guys, but I think Watson's a bit of a favor there. Uh, I think Watson's defense is, of course, going to be key. Is he going to guard Kobe Johnson? Kobe Johnson's 6'5", but he's the small forward on this team. He's also a really talented offensive player. They could put Dusty on him. I think they could also try to 
try to mark Dusty with Boogie uh, or try to mark Boogie with Dusty. I'm not sure exactly how Gonzaga is going to handle it because, of course, if you mark uh, if you mark Dusty if you mark Boogie with Dusty and you mark Watson on Kobe Johnson, Nolan Hickman's going to be guarding Rodman. Like that doesn't exactly work. So I'm not sure what they're going to do here, but I'd love to see if Watson can get out there, get active on defense, and and potentially not get some takeaways. It's something he's very very good at, but the Zags are really going to need from him in this game. And we're going to close out the show, switching gears, switching away from talking about this USC game. We'll be back with more on the Trojans for Friday's episode. But I want to talk about the 2024 battle for Atlantis. The field was officially finalized on Wednesday. We're going to talk about a potential Mark Few versus Tommy Lloyd matchup, which could also maybe be an in-conference game by the time Battle for Atlantis rolls around. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Folks, PrizePix offers everybody weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts, like their Taco Tuesday deal. Every Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide you with all, all with even more value. Plus, with the PrizePix reboot policy, your entries will stay in play even if one of your players gets hurt. So for NFL or college football top 25 matchups with those bowl games coming up, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and they do not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. This is unprecedented in the daily fantasy sports space. PrizePix is the only platform that has this injury insurance. Beyond that, this app is just really easy to use. All you do is pick two or more players, choose more or less with the given stat. For Thursday Night Football, Dak Prescott is set at 283.5 passing yards. Look, I've seen the Seahawks defense. I've seen the way Dak has played the last couple of weeks. I'm hitting the over here. I think Dak's going to throw over 300 plus yards. If you agree, go on to PrizePix. Use that promo code Locked On College. You get a first deposit match of up to one hundred dollars. Again, PrizePicks.com/slash/LockedOnCollege. Use that promo code Locked On College for a first deposit match of up to one hundred dollars. PrizePicks is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, folks, let's close out the show today talking about Atlantis. We're only a week removed from Gonzaga's incredible performance in the Maui Invitational and, of course, the overall incredible Maui Invitational field with so many elite programs. And now we're already looking ahead to 2024. Gonzaga is going to be in the battle for Atlantis. And the field, the eight-team field, is officially set. It was revealed on Wednesday. We had known that these were the likely teams, but we hadn't quite heard it officially from the Battle for Atlantis website. Now we know. Here are the eight teams who are going to be in the Bahamas for the Battle for Atlantis in 2024. Gonzaga, Arizona, Creighton, Oklahoma, Louisville, West Virginia, Davidson, and Indiana. No, it is not quite as loaded as the Maui Invitational, but we should not expect to see fields quite like that Maui field with Kansas, Purdue, Marquette, Tennessee, UCLA, Syracuse, Gonzaga. Just a ridiculously stacked field. This year's field, though, or this Maui—excuse me, this Atlantis field, very, very good. We know that there are going to be two Big 12 teams in this field. Not Gonzaga, but Arizona will be in the Big 12 by the time that this happens. And West Virginia, of course, remains in the Big 12. Some people might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Isn't there three? Oklahoma will be in the SEC by the time this this tournament rolls around. So we'll have Oklahoma in the SEC. We'll have Arizona and West Virginia representing the Big 12. Indiana is, of course, in the Big 10. Louisville's in the ACC. Creighton's in the Big East. Uh, And then Davidson's in the A-10. I think that covers everybody there. Of course, Gonzaga currently in the WCC. But that could change. 
We still have not heard any final word that the Big 12 is going to vote on Gonzaga. It has been rumored that it was going to happen this week. I think it was rumored that it was going to happen last week. There have been rumors floating around that Brett Yormark's trying to get a vote for Gonzaga into the Big 12. It sounds like there is still enough opposition from certain schools that a vote would not pass. I am not reporting any facts. I am just stating my opinion based on what articles are out there, that there are still a few teams who are, or programs who are not ready to vote yes on Gonzaga. My thought on the matter is that Yormark's not going to put this to a vote until he thinks he actually has the votes. So until we hear that a vote is happening, it's probably, there's probably still working out some details. The more time that goes on, the less likely it is that Gonzaga will be in the Big 12 by 2025 or 2024-25. Doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, every day that goes by doesn't mean that the Big 12 dream is dying necessarily. It just might be getting pushed. I think a lot of these schools are maybe not entirely opposed to Gonzaga coming into the conference in general. They're just opposed to pushing them through to get them in in 24-25. Frankly, I could understand why some schools might want to wait and not push Gonzaga through right away because they just added Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, Central Florida. They, of course, have the four corner schools, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah all coming in next year. They might want to say, let's just wait for Gonzaga a little bit longer. I can understand that argument from Big 12 schools. For Gonzaga, they have to have the leverage. Leverage for them could be uh, if a, a Pac-2 Mountain West merger happens and they invite Gonzaga from a basketball perspective, leverage could also come from the Big East. If the Big East chooses to, to, you know, in the process of going through their negotiations, decides that Gonzaga is a value add, which I think they'll they'll ultimately come to that conclusion. But there is the travel concern, the geography concern. But if the Big East is legitimately interested in Gonzaga, that could push the Big 12 to kind of try to force some of those schools to get over themselves and vote for Gonzaga sooner. Whether that actually happens, I don't know. If I knew, I swear I would tell you, but I have no idea. I, I don't know how I could know that information at this point. But the odds of Gonzaga being in the Big 12 in time for the battle for Atlantis, I don't think they're, they're, they're certainly not zero. I don't think they're 50-50 either. I think it's a little less likely than that, but it's something to keep an eye on. Because three Big 12 teams in this battle for Atlantis field would be just interesting. Funny, really. It's happened before. I think it was in 2012 when there was conference realignment. There ended up having a tournament. I think it was Atlantis as well, where there was two Big 12 teams and they've put them on separate sides. And I think they ended up still matching up and facing each other in some capacity. And they kind of just had to shrug their shoulders and be like, whoops, this happens because, you know, you, you plan these tournaments before realignment stuff happens. Just one of those goofy things that 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 could happen in, in this modern era of college basketball and conference realignment. But also, whether or not Gonzaga is in the Big 12, there's a potential for a Mark Few-Tommy Lloyd matchup. The game that people have been waiting for since the day Tommy Lloyd took that job at Arizona. And I'm curious how people are going to feel. If Gonzaga and Arizona meet up, in the battle for Atlantis, potentially in a championship game, that would be the, the most ideal situation, of course. But even if it's in a, a third place game, heck, even if it's a first round game, it doesn't really matter. I don't know why these two teams would play in a first round game in this tournament, but you never know. Uh, certainly things could happen, but I'm curious how Tommy Lloyd will be received. I think we're far enough removed that I think that the pain that some people have felt is maybe has maybe dissipated. Certainly, I never blamed Tommy for taking this job. I don't know how you could uh, to, to go from being an assistant head coach and associate head coach to immediately getting a full-time head coaching job at a premier basketball program like Arizona. I mean, that's a dream job. What an incredible opportunity for him. And by the time this game rolls around, Umar Bala will be gone. 
we will see if, you know, if Rem Bakamis is still on staff at Arizona, if Shema Karnowski is a graduate assistant. Uh, I suspect he won't still be on staff as a two-year graduate assistant, but perhaps they'll bring him on in a different capacity. Hard to, hard to say at that point, but there could still be some, some Gonzaga flavor uh, with that Arizona team when this game rolls around. So definitely something to keep an eye on in that game. Obviously, the, the rest of this feels fantastic. Gonzaga could get games against Creighton, who's a consistently top 10 program out of the Big East. Uh, they could get games against West Virginia, who, who is not very good this year, but I think will be back next year once they kind of recover from this whole Bob Huggins situation. Oklahoma, I mentioned them earlier, they're a top 25 team in my book this year. We'll see what they look like next year, but Porter Moser is a very good coach. Indiana, again, a little up and down this year, but I think they have a lot of youth on that team. If they keep some guys around, I think they could be very good next season. Davidson's always a threat in the Atlantic 10 conference. Louisville, of course, is kind of the the sad team out of this group right now because of coach Kenny Payne and the way that they have played. It's just been horrendous the last couple of years, but Hey, you never know. Maybe Louisville makes a coaching change and all of a sudden has kind of a St. John's off season re rebuilds the entire program and comes in next year with a little bit of thunder. I think that's very, very possible for them. So fantastic field. Not going to quite live up to Maui just in terms of the total talent level at the top of the field, but a fantastic tournament. Very excited. Always love being in the battle for Atlanta. So this should be, a really fun one. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. We got more talking about that USC game coming up on Friday's show. So stick with us here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't forget to hit the like button to let me know you were here. Leave a comment, leave a review on iTunes. Join us on our Discord channel. There's a link in the show notes that is completely free. Hanging out, talking basketball 24-7 there. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, as always, go Zags.